Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Just before we get started, I want to thank you once again for listening to the show, for helping spread the word about the show. I am so grateful to you for participating. I'd like to thank my aunt, Dr. Danielle Bloom, for sending this guest my way. I'm very passionate about Shaduchim, the Shaduch crisis. I'm working on setting people up myself. If you missed the 10K Bate episode, definitely go back and listen to that. Thank you to all of you who have been reaching out so I can expand my network and have more singles available to set up with each other. Make sure to tune in to the next bonus episode with Mark Trencher, where we go into a different topic, which is why I separated them. Tune in tomorrow to get that little dose of that. I am Francisca, your host, a podcast success coach, and I thank you for all the referrals that come my way. I cannot do this without your input and your effort. Join the discussion group for some lively conversations around the topics that keep coming up around this podcast and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have Mark Trencher joining us from Borough Park in his very Haliga studio. Welcome so to the actually, show. Actually, thank you. Actually, I'm in West Hartford, Connecticut, but this is a typical, in the background, you do see my virtual Borough Park uh, Sparum Shrunk. So thank you very much. Got it. Okay. I'm so excited to do this episode because I've been thinking a lot about the Shidduch crisis and what's going on in the singles community. Why do they feel so left out? Why is it so hard for us to look at singles and label them or think that they're singles before we look at them as humans? And I've been on this quest. We've done a, several episodes on these topics, and I'm so excited to have someone on who will bring on that data and researched back up to, to speak for what's going on in the community. So this is such an honor. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, how you got started in doing research about Jewish topics. Thank you. I am actually a retiree. I spent my life in the business world and a lot of it was in research positions at various large companies. During the time that I was working in business, I was always very involved in the Jewish community. I was the president of our shul. I was the president of our Orthodox Jewish Day School. I'm currently the uh, president of our Vata Kashras, where I live in West Hartford, Connecticut. And I was also, I think I am the only Orthodox person who ever headed up a community Jewish film festival, which I did for four years, which was a lot of fun. It, it always occurred to me when I was working in these organizations that we made a lot of decisions and we never really had data or information. So we basically, you know, at the school, what do the parents want? Well, I'll tell you what the parents want. Well, why don't we ask them? So I decided when I retired, which I did in 2015, I decided that what the community needs is a way to do research, quality research. I know that every organization is financially struggling, or not every, but most of them. So I do aim to keep my research extremely low in cost. In fact, two-thirds of it, I basically cover the cost myself. I found that there's a real appetite for community research. So, I mean, yes, I've done surveys for individual shuls and others. But I find that people really love the community studies. So this would be a study of the broad community, which I've done about a dozen of them. So I've studied the community. I've studied people who left Orthodoxy off the Derach. 
I've studied Bali Teshuva. I've studied attitude towards politics and COVID. And a lot of times after I do a survey, and my surveys are all what I call community sourced, which means the questions that we ask all come from people in the community. It's open to the community. What do you want to know? And when we finish the survey, the results are fully 100% made available at no charge to the community. So after a lot of these surveys, people will come over to me and say, Mark, you know, what about us singles? And then we say, you know, we always ask what your marital status is. So you could go into any survey we did. You want to know, we asked a question about how important is your orthodoxy as a part of who you are of your life. You could break that out between singles and marriages and divorces, et cetera. We don't always do it, although the data is available. But really what the issue is, is there are questions that are really specific to singles around shidduchem and marriage and, and do they feel they're a part of the community? Do they feel that they're a part of their shul? And how is dating? What routes do we take in terms of dating? What are they looking for in terms of a dating partner? What are they looking for in terms of their life? So that's why we finally decided to do a survey specifically about singles and to try to get at least several hundred people to respond so we have some good information. Great. Let's dive in to the stuff that you learned after doing the research. Was there anything surprising or shocking? And feel free to give a rundown on what you've learned. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown. I mentioned one of the questions we ask people is, do you agree being an Orthodox observant Jew is an important part of your life? We asked this in 2017, and like 85, 90% say very, very important. No matter where you are in the spectrum of modern Orthodox, and even more in the Yeshivish and Hasidish, for all of us, no matter what we're doing with our lives, our Orthodoxy is an important part of our life. So in this survey that we just did, we did ask this question, and I was really curious, is there a difference between marriage and single? So among married people, almost 90% said, yes, orthodoxy is an important part of my life. For the singles, that was 80%. 80% is still high, but you know, now you're looking at a 10% difference. What's happening to the singles? Do you go to shul? 70% of marriage go at least twice a month on Shabbat. Number we're talking about the times of the pandemic, so the numbers are down. And 60% of singles, so again, we see a 10% difference. So singles now are saying they don't go to shul as much, and their orthodox observance is not as, it's an important part of their life, but not as important as among the marrieds. The two other questions I asked were, is there a shul you primarily go to? Do you feel welcome in your shul? Do you feel welcome in your shul? I combined them. So if you look at married people, 70% said, yes, I have a shul, a regular shul that I go to, and I feel welcome there. Among the singles, that number was 47%, less than half. Less than half of the singles say, yeah, I have a shul that is my primary shul that I feel welcome in. So now you're talking about a pretty significant difference. So, I mean, that really was the entree to this study was connection, people's connection to their orthodoxy, connection to their shuls. And, and we didn't just look at marriage and singles. We actually, actually took a bunch of questions and combined them. And I looked at a whole bunch of different groups. I looked at men versus women. I looked at modern Orthodox compared to Yeshivish and Hasidish. I looked at Ashkenazic versus Sephardi. I looked at age and some other groups. And the question really is, are there groups that are less connected to their Orthodox life and community? That's kind of how we started the survey. Can I make an assumption? Were modern Orthodox older single men the least connected? I'll just tell you a few things about connection. The connections, it was in a scale from zero to 100. There's a bunch of questions I'm connected to my shul, I'm connected to my community, but from zero to hundred for the entire Orthodox community, 
that was 77%, which is pretty good. It was a little bit higher before the pandemic. The Shul connection has dropped, but that's a pretty good level of connection, 77%. It's closer to 100 than it is to 50. Men and women were about the same. The yeshivish and Hasidic were a little bit more connected than modern Orthodox. They do go to shul more regularly. They go, they might go to Dafyomi and shul. They do more learning. So they feel a little bit more connected. In fact, the Hasidic had the highest level of any group we looked at, almost 90%. That there was only one group that ended up being under 70%. And that was single people. Single people came in at 69%. The group that had the next lowest level was LGBTQ came in at 72%. So once I saw that result, I said to myself, okay, well, I'm glad we're doing this survey because this is the first half of the survey. And the first half of the survey showed that single people, for whatever reason, you could use the word alienated, in other words, turned off, but they're not connected to their community. Now, the question you asked, and we did look at it by age, you asked about older men, and we did find, not surprisingly, that it, it does drop by age. For men, it drops after age 40, drops down to the low 60s. So Men are connected, they're in their 30s, the number's still pretty high. They're in it. Once you get past 40, the level of connection for men drops. But interestingly enough, for women, it drops earlier than that. For women, once they get to age 30, their level of connection drops. In both cases, it drops down to like 60%. So it goes from, remember, the entire Orthodox community is about 80, and all singles are about 70, connection. And now the, for the women, it drops down after age 30 to 60. So it really plummets. And for the men, it drops down at age 40. So it does drop by age. It drops earlier for women, women. than from. And I'm assuming it's because they don't go to Minion or they're not required to go to Minion. Also, because men are being read more people than women. So they just feel less. Right. It's also very visible. If you're not wearing a head covering, assuming you're in a community where that's the clear symbol. It's very visible to show up anywhere without a head covering, being single, it's written all over your face. Right, right, exactly, exactly. As much as I'm excited to have somebody who has the data and research, I want to hear your analytical theories around some of the questions I would like to ask you. What are some of the theories on why there is a shidduch crisis? And feel free to change it up based on communities. The first question is, what is the definition of the shidduch? crisis of this. Some people say, well, the shidduch crisis is the fact that there are more, there, there seem to be more women than men. There's a, there's a demographic mismatch. Some people define it as that. In fact, we don't know that that's true for sure. We asked, what are you looking for in terms of somebody you want to go out with? And I'll get to that, but basically there's an issue of selectivity. So the, the fact of the matter is in today's environment, in the dating scene, there's a tendency to do a lot of research before dates actually happen. So you're a typical person in the, certainly, certainly in the yeshivish world, a little bit less so, but also somewhat in the modern Orthodox world, people have their shidduch resumes, which are essentially a description of themselves. And these documents get floated around and passed on before the first date is set up. And so people have an ability to kind of say no based upon what they're seeing and based upon research. One of the interesting questions we asked is, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? It, it's somebody you're going out on a date with. And, and we actually had a list of 27 things people might look for. And, and it's interesting to see what people look for. People look for all different things. I think the good news is that what people mainly are looking for 
our personality. The main things are somebody who's respectful of others, somebody who's honest, somebody who's kind and compassionate, somebody who accepts me as I am. So these are the top things people are looking for. How do you know if a person has these characteristics? You can't know from a shit of resume, and you can't know by calling their Rosh Yeshiva or the, the Madricha or, or the Rebetzin or Rabbi in their shul. The only way you can know this is really by meeting the person. I think an important part of it is just the fact that we have, for too many people, there's too much going on before we let people meet. At the end of our survey, we ask people, so I asked this question specifically at the end of a survey, because I want the people to go through all of the, I'm dating, I'm not dating, what's working, what's not working. Now that people's minds, now people are really thinking about the good and the bad. And then we asked them a question. So overall, is the Orthodox Jewish dating system working? What do you think? On a scale from zero to 10, how do you rate it? Zero means it's totally not working. 10 means it's perfect. So what rating would you give the Orthodox Jewish dating system? This is actually a question that a lot of businesses ask. And usually an average, a decent average rating is like seven or eight, you know, whatever. If you're getting a nine, that's like, you know, fabulous. Who's answering this, this case, question, singles or married? So the, okay, both. I ask this question of everybody. So I can tell you that among single people, the average rating was 4.2. 4.2 is a really, really, you almost never find ratings that low in the business world. I don't know. Maybe the cable companies at one point when they were even worse than they are now. <laughs> uh, or I, I can't even think of industries that get those kind of ratings. They would be put out of business, but that's a bad rate. So you, you asked a good question. We also asked this about married people. Who are the married people? Don't forget a lot of them are the parents. A lot mm -hmm. of them are the parents. So among married people, the average rating was 5.0, which is not as horrible, but it's also pretty bad. I think there's pretty much agreement among marriage and singles, and it gets worse over age. People are older, give it to you. But there's this general agreement that the shidduch system doesn't work. You know why? I mean, I think a lot of it is the selectivity. There's too much checking up. You know, we did ask about, do you think there's too much investigation? Do you think there's too much investigation going on? Before. Do you think, I think it's okay to be selective, you know, when you're deciding the one person you're going to exclusively marry and spend the rest of your life with, but is it the selectiveness pre-first date that's really obstructing and helping the crisis? Or is it, in general, as someone just today told me, women today are more advanced in their careers and in their abilities and independence, and they're just very selective. The guys just need to be superstars to stand out. Yeah, there, there might be some truth to that. I mean, women checked on our, our checklist of 27 items. Women did check off more of them as absolute. The first category was check off anything that's an absolute must-have. So your average woman checked off eight or nine out of the 27. In the year 2021, for the first time, women made up 60% of all undergraduate college students in the United States. I'm not talking about the Jewish community in the United States. And there's been books written about the male population underperforming and having all kinds of problems. And I'm not going to say that that's an issue in the Orthodox community, but yeah, there are a lot of really competent, accomplished, bright women. Are the women being too selective? Are the women being more selective than, than, than the men? I don't know. I mean, it, that could be, that could be, it could be that there's not as great a selection to pick from. So men do more often look for looks. That was the only category at Rule 27 that men checked up a lot more than women. So, you know, I, I, I said that at a presentation last week. Everybody laughed because they were not surprised.
the question you asked is, is it selection before dating or is it selection after dating? We, we didn't really ask at what point do these characteristics come into play in your decision process. I think it's both. I think one of the things that could help is giving people a chance to find out more about each other before pre-checklist. You know, and, and air, airplanes have checklists because you have to check everything off before you take off. It's a very important part of the process because the, the downside is not something you want to live with. But, you know, the downside on a date is a date. You know, it could be a bad date. It could be a bad date. Uh, but uh, so well, could, it might the be bad a, part is your child who's never spoken to anyone of the opposite gender falls in love with somebody who you would have had you done more research, never approved of. Right. That, that, that's also a possibility. One of the people I spoke with, this is not in the study, but I actually wrote an article, which I'm hoping will be, I was told it's going to be an op-ed. I titled my article, When Bad Systems Happen to Good People, which makes people laugh because there was a famous book called When, when Bad Things Happen to Good People. And this suggests that the system that people are, are trying, but the Shidduch system is, is getting in their way. So one of the people who, called, who I spoke with when I wrote this article said, you know, too many people are getting to the point, and men, he said men, he was critical of men. He said, too many men are getting to the point where they're ready to date, and they really are not motivated. They really are much less career motivated than women. They don't know how to act. And he, he saw a role for, for schools, for yeshiva high schools and seminaries to really get men more ready to be realistic in what they're looking for and to be motivated and to not be afraid to commit. I spoke to another person, a rabbi, who's worked with men and women, and he said, you know, he said, I'm not going to blame men. I'm not going to blame women. You know, there are, in both genders, there are people that are put together, people who are less put together. But he said he did, he did kind of agree that we need to really figure out ways to get people more ready so that when they start dating at age 19 or 20 or 25 or 30, they kind of are more knowledgeable, and just smarter in how they go about it and more able to make big judgments. Can I take this a step further? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I think the girls are being overly prepared to the point where, especially if they start dating younger, by the time they're 22, 23, maybe 25, they feel burnt out, they feel old. Meanwhile, the guys don't even enter the market until they are sometimes 24, 25 with fresh new excitement and they are underprepared for several reasons. I have theories on that as well. I think that's true. I think, what, I think what you're saying is very true, that the men, they're doing their own thing, whatever it is. And there are more men than women that might be socially challenged. According to this person I spoke with, there's more men that don't have a firm career path. Men more often, he says, enjoy being single. I can see that. Yeah. Although I will tell you that when we asked people what their number one goal was, so there's a when we asked men and women what their top personal goals were, marriage was high up on the list, but young people who are single have a lot of other goals as well. Marriage is not the only thing. It's not the only thing that they're interested in. So, so we found, for example, that young people or singles, there were basically three things that were all at the top of their list. And one was marriage, yes. The other one was just being happy overall. And the third one was personal growth. And then there's other things you know, that, that are high up on the list, finances and religious growth and career hell. But the view that a single person is obsessed with getting married is not true. There are many, many goals and that it changes over time. Well, you know, as people get older, it changes. Well, somebody can tell you that their goal is 
personal development, et cetera, because it feels like to them, maybe especially women, that the goal of marriage is not something they can, they have control over. It's something that's going to happen to them, you know, as long as they're sort of doing, walking the walk, talking the talk. It's not an active goal they could be pursuing. It, they're sort of surrendering to Hashem and to Ishat yes. to make it happen. And it's unhealthy if that's your goal. You wake up every morning. How am I going to get myself married today? Well, that's going to be a disappointing way to live life, potentially. So if you focus yeah. on personal growth and your career and having a social life, then hopefully the dating will fall into place, assuming you create space and openness to it. That's very true, yes. Let's talk a little bit about some of the reasons men have a hard time committing or wanting to commit. Do you have any theories on that? Why, why men don't commit? You know, they've gotten used to, you know, men have gotten used to, to being single because of the age difference, because, the, because many men feel that there's actually no problem with being 23, 25, 27, 31. So they've gotten used to the single life. They have their friends and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're fine with the freedom that they have. And I think the societal expectation on a woman, which varies by age, if you're age X, then you're single, that's great. If you're age Y, then something's wrong, there's a problem. I think part of it is the, is the freedom that men are given to spend more years being single. I think, I think that's a part of it. In Israel, they do encourage men to start earlier. I know when my brother was in yeshiva in Israel, 21, his friends started getting married. Right, right. The, there was actually a book. There's a, the, the question is raised about, is there actually a, a mismatch? Or are there actually more women than men? Because I hear from women, this is, where are the men? There are no men. And I said, are there really no men? And then she says, well, there are no quality men. So that's a different issue. But if there's no men, there was actually a book a few years ago, which asked the question, are there actually more men than women? And this book seemed, which was not written by a Jewish author, but the book concluded that there are in fact more unmarried young women than men in the Orthodox Jewish community, because this book did look at the Orthodox community. The book also looked at the Mormon community and concluded that there were more women than men in the Mormon community. And it gave two different reasons. In the Mormon community, they said there are in fact more women than men. Why? Because the men leave. The men go off the darach. I don't know what the phrase is in the Mormon community, but more men leave the community. And therefore, as you get to be 25, 30, 35, there's a mismatch. Now, I've been told that that's a problem in the, in the Orthodox world also. I've been told, we don't have any data, but because more men who are 25 or 30 go off the darach than women, but, but it might be, it might be. You'll have... Men who, you know, show up to shul, when they show up to shul, they wear their yarmulkes, but then they're also sleeping around. And that doesn't stand in the way of them being an eligible bachelor for a good base Yaakov girl who is, you know, older already and who still lives in her parents' home and dresses exactly like she did when she was in base Yaakov. Right. So the qualifications might change as, as women get older and men get older. So you mentioned about, about the age of marriage. The other thing that this book mentioned was that this book had a theory that if men would be willing to marry women a year or two older than them, the demographics would actually change. And I don't, I don't want to, I can explain it now if you want me to, but if you read the book, I do. actually it does make a little bit of sense. It does make a little bit of sense because of the population growth rate. So it does make sense that when you start out with a hundred women looking for a guy and there are like 95 men that are two years older than them because our population is growing by two or 3% a year, that's your starting point. If you have a hundred women age 
21, looking at 95 men age 23, then that's your group. You know, as men and women get married, the 100 gets down to 30. And now the, the 100 women is down to 30, the, the 95 men is down to 25. You begin to see that there's fewer men than women. There's fewer men that are two or three years older than women at, at any age point, as long as our population is growing. The men's pool gets bigger as you have more and more of age women joining the pool. This is more of an issue in the Hasidish and Yeshivish world because their populations are growing more rapidly. It might be a little bit of an issue in the uh, in the modern Orthodox world. You know, the, the Orthodox might be more of an issue, but all the other things we've talked about, the selectivity and the fact that for whatever reason, the, men, the women seem to be more serious and more interested than men, those are also factors. So there's a lot of factors that go into this shidduch scenario. Okay, let me add just a few pros for a man who is considering dating right now, why he should consider an older woman. And by older woman, I mean somebody his own age or somebody a year older or two years older. Here's why. And I heard this from a single guy who is in his early 20s. First of all, if you want to go to school or be in Kolo, a woman who is your age or older probably already has her degree, potentially is already working. That's a smarter decision than marrying someone who's 18, 19, who still has four years of school ahead of her or two years, the work experience that you don't get paid for. So financially speaking, it makes more sense. Number two, life expectancy. Men do expire or pass away younger than women do. And that would be more of a mismatch in terms of longevity of a marriage. So those are two reasons to consider. The obvious con is the biological clock is ticking and women age and you want somebody more fresh. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I know a few guys who married women two or three years older than them. And they're all very, they're all very happily married. And they all say it was a smart thing and they're glad they did it. One of the, yeah, they're glad they did it. So definitely for all the reasons you gave, it's not at all a bad idea. But girls do mature younger, which makes them maturity-wise, less of a match with a boy who's their own age or younger. That's true. One of the things I often say, and I say it as a joke, but there's truth to it. I said, I say one of the benefits of being a guy is you can be immature your whole life. And everyone laughs, but there's, there's truth to it. There's truth to it. Women do mature earlier. There's definitely truth to that. Here's another theory, and I'll credit my friends that have a bower for this. She introduced this idea to me, and I like it very much. Some of it's mine, some of it's hers. I think the yeshiva education, the yeshiva environment for boys and men is hurting the shidduch crisis. And let me know what your opinions are on this. Very often, the boys go to a dorm for high school, and they lack the everyday life of a family life and lack appreciation of it or understanding of it, which makes it so much less appealing when the three times a year or four times a year they experience family life. It could be super stressful, inconvenient, and just quite frankly annoying. Imagine if all your rebbies and your yeshivas tell you, focus on making it on time for davening every morning. Everything's about your learning. Meanwhile, girls are doing chesed in high school already and seminary one day a week, you go and you do chesed. I don't experience that young boys have any education or value placed on do something other than think about yourself and your own self growth, which are very harmful traits in developing boys who we want them to want to get married at a certain point 
and be helpful potentially around the family and good role models for their sons. So it looks like the education and the mentality is marriage is inconvenient for you to pursue your learning, but it's something required of you. We don't want you spilling seed. We don't want you distracted. We don't want you going into the workforce without having a woman to ground you. This is ultimately good for you, but it's not attractive for you. That mismatch of values where that's what we expect of them is not helpful for starting a bias naman with shalom bias where taking out the garbage is so your wife is happy, not because you are in a partnership now and it's your garbage as much as it's her garbage and you're not helping her. You're doing your part in your own home, like babysitting for the kids. You're not babysitting for the kids. I mean, that's true. The educations are different. My yeshiva background did absolutely nothing, which, which is all Gemara all the time, except for half an hour a week studying Jewish history, which was kind of a free period. But yeah, my school did not prepare me in any way, shape or form. And I, I know I see my granddaughters, you know, I see their background and the things they've done and the summer programs. And even the things they do as part of of their schooling, they are being better prepared to be more well-rounded people. So the learning is more diverse. The interactions with their society is more diverse. So I think definitely our schools need to think about more than just what they've been doing to really get people to be more well-rounded, thoughtful, sensitive people, and more ready to be part of a family and to be less individually focused. When all you think about is your own learning, then you're individually focused. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. And more to that, thank you for your validation, is that the girls romanticize and fantasize about a family life, whereas the boys, it's an obligation. Now you're going to have to support your family. Now you're going to have to take care of your family. Now you're going to have to compromise on your total learning to build a family. It's, it's that messaging that totally makes marriage unattractive. And the word commitment is the word that is opposing wanting to start a family. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. This is why I had you on so I can work through these theories and bring them to you. I just want to say one more thing about the shit about the marriage thing. And that is, I, I often get asked, well, Mark, did anything happen? And then you did all this research. So did it make a change? And I think in the case of this research, it will make a change. Because what we did is we actually had a very well-known Brandeis University professor, Sylvia Fishman, who's, who's perhaps the leading scholar in the modern Orthodox community. You know, I gave her my 43 pages of verbatim responses, the actual responses people gave to our survey. And she also got stuff from other organizations. We have a six-page document, really, which is a plan, a plan for schools and organizations, things they can do, 10 easy things that will not be expensive that they can be doing and should be doing to improve the lives of single and orthodox single individuals. Can you share them? So I'll just tell you the questions we asked people were, what is holding you back from finding a spouse? We asked that question and we have a lot of answers. We asked, what advice would you give people who are dating? This was also asked of married people. And the other question we asked was, how can schools and organizations better address the needs of single individuals? And we have hundreds and hundreds of responses that we shared and that we used. So we do have a 10 point plan. I can go through it if you want me to quickly. Or um, not quickly, take your time. It's a kind of a, okay. So first of all, you know, offer one, offer meaningful roles to single men and women, put them in leadership positions, integrate them into synagogue life. These, these 10 things are things that won't cost any money. They often just require a mindset 
Two, treat single Jews respectfully as adults with friendship and social interactions. We heard a comment from one woman who said, I was at a wedding and uh, I'm single. And another woman was there who was a widow who was single. And they put us at the children's table. I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, treat people respectfully. They're adults. Some of them eliminate the single tax by giving singles the same financial breaks of families. There are sometimes family caps on uh, events that reduce the cost for um, married people with children. Create reliable arrangements for befriending children of single, with widowed, or divorced persons sitting alone. So you're a woman in the woman section, and where are your little eight and 10 year old boys? They're just wandering around. There's no system for somebody to say, you know, like, why can't we do what the big brothers, big sisters do? And that is, you know, somebody say, you know what, when this kid shows up, I'm going to have him sit next to me. I'll talk to him. I'll show him the page if he doesn't know, whatever it is. It's, in other words, the, the fact that it's a single parent as a child uh, may mean that that child is basically left alone. Don't make all activities exclusive to one age, gender, or lifestyle status. Yes, yes, some activities should be a single event or a men event or a woman event. Yeah, you know, is there a place for a, uh, a barbecue and scotch event for men only? I don't know. But to the extent you can have events be open, more open, yes, there will be some events that are for specific groups, but some should be more op open. Create activities with content appropriate for single, divorced, or widowed persons in different age groups. So this requires a little bit of, of creativity. Create and seek to participate in citywide or regional gatherings and events for singles. So go outside your shul or your organization. There are singles and other organizations. Maybe create some kind of group events. I'm up to number eight if you're counting. Okay, this one I like. Discourage singles from writing job qualification style lists of requirements and resumes and encourage them instead to get to know the whole person. So I got recently, I was given a shidduch resume. In this entire shidduch resume that I got, there was only one fact about the person. That was his height, 5'10". I'm not kidding. Everything else was not really about him. Okay, it had a couple of jobs listed, which I would say is not talking about the person. But it was all like people to call references. What would be good on a, on a shidduch resume? Something honestly about the person, what the person likes. I, I like or I don't like movies and books, popular culture. I like to read or I don't like to read this or that. These are the kind of things I like to, to these are the kind of events I like to go to. I like to cook. People can say I'm kind and generous, but you know, then you get into kind of uh, positioning yourself. But a little bit more about the person, a little bit more about the person. Number nine on the list was create organic, natural opportunities for men and women to interact with each other. I mean, the question I've asked is, I, I've, I've said this a few times, I said, listen, I go to a lot of weddings and after the chuppah, there's usually like a long, long gap because first of all, the couple goes to the yichud room and then you take the photographs and the photographs take forever. Sometimes it could be an hour and a quarter before they come back into the main room and the dancing starts. I said, why not have three or four tables set up, and you could have shatchanim there. You can have a rabbanim, rabbis, or, or women shatchanim. But basically, the idea of having these tables set up in the open, so you're not talking about yichad, in the open, where a guy can go over, or a woman can go over, and if they want to have their shidduch resume with them, and but just talk to them, just meet, meet somebody, meet somebody. If you think there's some tachlis, some, some purpose to continuing a discussion, that's great. You can arrange it yourself or you can let the shotgun know. But you know, having some more having just more opportunities for people to meet 
with each other. And the last thing on the list was when educational programs is really needed for school age boys and girls to get them to understand and feel comfortable to really get them ready. You might be talking about high, you might be talking about the upper level of high school, maybe at age 17, 18 and beyond. So this is kind of the list of 10 things that we, that we came out with. There's a summary of them in my, in my report, but if you go to my website, nishmaresearch.com, N-I-S-H-M-A, you can actually get the entire article, which really describes, you know, all these things and give it to your rabbi, give it to your rabbis, give it to the head of your school or to, or to your shul, president of your shul. Our goal really is to get the word out on that. How do you respond to the stigma of, well, number one is your shidduch resume being a fluffy paragraph about what you think you like and that other people think are completely insignificant when matching your kids for shidduchim. And number two, I'm sure there are many, many parents and community leaders who would be very against guys walking up to girls or girls walking up to guys at a wedding and starting up a conversation. It takes away control from the parents. And what if it's not a good match? It all becomes like who could, who has enough confidence to talk to X and, and Y, as opposed to who are actually good matches for each other. Those are the objections you're going to be getting if you introduce this to mainstream yeshivish or even modern Orthodox parents who are still involved in their children when they're younger. Yeah. So, so parents are involved, they're heavily involved. Half the people we spoke with said the level of parental involvement was appropriate, but like 40, 40% of the singles said, no, the, our parents are involved too much, too much. So by a slight majority, appropriate is a little bit better than too much. But yeah, parents are involved. In terms of your comments about resumes, yeah, I mean, in the business world, all the resume did was either get you in the door or get you eliminated. When you have an ad online for a job, you might get 100 resumes. There's a tendency to go through because of the volume. I think, unfortunately, in the shidduch world, resumes are probably more often a way to say no than to say yes. Because you're right. I mean, all, all the fluffy good stuff, people say, well, yeah, this is very nice, but now I need to do research. So I think my question about the shidduch resumes and, and the amount of investigation is, is it more often turning down someone who might have been a possibility than it should be? And I, th I think that might be the case. Thanks so much, Mark, for coming onto the show and sharing your exciting research and insights with us. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. That will be a bonus short mini episode all about the research and analysis on the financial elements after surveying the Orthodox communities. And here's a sneak peek of what's coming tomorrow. I would like to wrap up this conversation and transition a little. I know you did surveys, research on a lot of other topics. I am very passionate about the financial conundrum of the Orthodox community. If you have some takeaways or, again, shocking developments or ideas and thoughts that came from your research, can you comment on that? What would they be? This is the discussion that will come out on the bonus episode tomorrow. So stay tuned for that to hear the answers. I hope you enjoyed this show. See you tomorrow. If you or anyone you know is looking for podcast support, you know where to find me. And if you enjoyed this show, please follow the show on your favorite podcast app. Spread the word about it to your friends and family. And of course, if you enjoyed this show, make sure to check out some of the other shows, a part of Jewish Coffee House Network. And see you next time. <music>